And I am super excited about what I want to talk with you about. We've been talking about the good news, the gospel, and the way we've been walking so far is recognizing that some of the ways that we look at the gospel may or may not be the way that Jesus looked at it. Uh, Sometimes as we get farther and farther away from the events um, that happened, we tend to take shortcuts in our understandings of things, whereas we need to stop and we need to consider, we need to dig deeper, we need to study, we need to understand, um, and we need to understand not just what happened then, uh, not just the, the events, but we need to understand the worldview and the mindset of those events because worldviews change over time. Last night we were, um, after our wonderful game with Georgia, uh, Jake and I watched the new Dune. Has anybody seen the new Dune? Uh, it's pretty spectacular. And it's, it's pretty spectacular, especially for those of us that watched the original Dune. And I don't know how many of you were around when that came out, but you know, there's a difference in watching sci-fi back in the 80s and 90s and today. Would anyone attest to that? Yeah. So when Dune came out back in back in like, was that the 80s? I guess it was the 80s. 80s. Wow, you're a big Dune fan. Back in the in 87, like it was it was for those of you who are are of the virtual reality world, like you have no idea what we had to endure. But we didn't think we were enduring anything because that was all we had. And it was spectacular. And so when Dune came out, other than the Baron, which was pretty nasty, was just a nasty character, still is, uh, it was was the first movie of its kind with visuals. It was super long, even though it's probably average now. And the story was deep and complex and different. And it wove in, you know, not just heroic events, but spirituality and all these other things. It was really an incredible movie. So watch the first Dune, and just not to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, but this is going to be a, I guess it's going to be, you know, there's going to be three of them to tell the story of the one original, so you don't get the whole thing. So I went back, and after watching it, I was, I just, the story is so, it just pulls you in. I went back, I thought, I'm going to go watch the original, and I watched the original, and it was awful. I mean, it was awful. Like, the graphics were awful. The effects were awful. I mean, the acting was pretty good, but it was one of the first times we had, like, Sting was an actor. So they, we kind of brought these, you know, crossing celebrities into movies, and it was like, this is like an event. This is magnificent. And I remember when I was, uh, when I was younger, back in the 90s, I used to watch this show called Babylon 5, and it was awesome. I mean, I couldn't wait for it to come out. Well, recently Babylon 5 went to Netflix, and I was like, yes, I'm going to go watch it. And I watched about five minutes, and I was like, I can't watch this. I cannot, this is so bad. Like, anyone with a garage could have filmed this. It was so bad. But whenever, you know, back when it came out, it was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, time changes, and our perspectives change. And the Bible is not exactly like Babylon 5 or Dune, but as we get older and as we change, our our perspective on the world changes. And so if we're going to understand some of the events of thousands of years ago, we can't just take it from our perspective today. We have to take it from their perspective. How did they view this? How did they see this? And as we go through and we dig through the Bible, the Bible is really just, just brilliant. As you go through and you read the the, the, not just the history of it, but the structure of it. What were they trying to accomplish? I grew up in a, in a religious system in which um, we took everything very literally, which is, is both exciting and very dangerous because they didn't write very literally. Not only did they not write very literally, when we take the original text and we literally translate them into English, and then we take our 21st century view on this, these words that form these meanings, we sometimes miss the point. And so as we kind of look back through the Old Testament, the Old Testament, oh, it is so, it's so rich. I, I mean, we're still talking about it today. It still changes us today. The Scripture, even though it's thousands of years old, like it's still affecting the world today. Now, some people really love it and some people really hate it, but you cannot deny that it's really affecting the world. I've got, I'm working on a couple of things that I don't exactly know how I'm going to do them yet, 
I'm working on kind of a retelling of the, the human story that begins with Genesis 1 and goes through Revelation. We're not going to do that on Sunday mornings um, in the service just because, I mean, we would, it would take us years. But I may do, I may do a, um, I don't know if this would work. We've never done this before, Journey. But I might do like a Sunday morning Bible study before church. I don't know if you might come to that. Like old school Sunday school? Yeah? Okay, Vicky will come. Christine will come. Christine, will, we got three right there. I mean, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, well, the band couldn't come. I would exclude the band. But we would talk about the band, so that would be okay. No, we wouldn't really. But um, anyway, we might do it on Wednesday night. I'm not sure. Find a time. Because, uh, as, you know, as we dig through, it's really fascinating what we find. And I want to share a little bit about that with you, what I'm talking about with you today. Um, and with our question of if this is the good news, then it really is a very subjective question. Well, then what is good, right? And so what we've kind of been unpacking over the last few weeks has been the reality that the good news, we, what we tend to do in our, in our very um, segmented and orderly and give me, give me the most you can in the shortest period of time and I want a very efficient way of understanding all this, tell me what i got to do and I'll go do it, world We've, we've taken the gospel and we said, well, the gospel is this, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he went to be with God in heaven and he's preparing a place for us. And if you'll confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved and then one day you'll die and then one day you'll go to heaven and then one day everything will be great even though it kind of sucks now. And that is, for most people in Western culture, the gospel. It's a very disappointing gospel though. And not because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and not that that's not an important event, because it is a crucial event, and all of the culmination of all of human history wraps around that event. It is an important event. But he actually, uh, it's good news because of what this did for us. Not just the fact that he did it. It's like going to Disney World, which I, I know the McNutts just went to Disney World, and we all were jealous while we saw their pictures in Disney. And some of us weren't all that jealous. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like focusing on the trip to Orlando and then ignoring, well, what happens in Orlando? That's what we do when we take the gospel simply as what Jesus has done on the cross. Because he's doing that to bring us something. So what is that something? And that's what we've been trying to answer. Um, and I, I actually was going to talk about something else today. But I'm not going to get there um, because I, I've got too much to share with you before, so I'll pass that on to next week. But I, I want us to wrestle with this question, this good news, so what is good? And we looked at the parable of the lost son last week and the, the reality of this is a, a picture of God, not as a God who's waiting to condemn, but a God who's sitting on the porch, who's just anxiously scanning for the lost son to come home. And when he sees him, he bolts and he runs and he embraces and they throw this party. But yet, there's always the contingent in a scenario like that that's not happy with this joy, which is the older brother. We spent some time talking a little bit about the older brother. And uh, some people, I got some, some texts this week about that as well. What, what's the deal with the older brother? And uh, it's really, when you dig down into that parable, uh, it's really fascinating what we can find. And the reality is, is in, even in my own Preaching, you'll find, if I, I'll talk about the same parable over a period of years and I'll talk about it differently each time because this is how rich and deep and complex Scripture is. It, you, you, you continue to discover it. It's like it beckons you in and says you can stay a while and you can learn or you can just pass it off and take what you want and then move on. But when you really live with it and sit with it, it's really, it's really beautiful. So I want to start with this question. So what does God think is good this is our question for today, and by the end of the day, you will probably be left wanting because uh, this question begs us to explore and to consider. What does God think is good? This is our entire life struggle, is it not? In the church, we might say it, do what's good and avoid what's not, right? And most of us will read the Bible in some lens of that, I've got to do what's good and avoid what's not. What does that look like? What does that life look like? I mean, it's a frustrating life, I found. 
I found I'm never good enough at doing the good, and I often do the things that are not good. This is what has been this problem with Christians throughout history, and so why do we invite people into that world and reality? Is it good that we struggle with doing good? What well, is good? This is our struggle, and we need to understand what God says is good. And to do that, I want to walk you through Genesis 1 through 3, and I then want to walk you through the rest of the Old Testament. So do you have anything else you need to do today? Okay, some of you are already regretting walking in the door. Um, so we're really going to try to hit a lot of the Old Testament. Yeah, you don't know what you're saying, Paul. You don't know what you're saying. All right, Genesis 1. What happens in Genesis 1? Somebody tell me. Yes, there was creation, and God created. And after God created, He said that it was it was good. Day 1, He created, and it was good. Day 2, He created, and it was... And day 3, He created, and it was... And day 4, He created, and it was... 5! Some of you have already dropped off. All right? We're not done with the week. And then he got to day six. And that was day seven. Day seven, he said, he looked over all that he had created and he rested and he said, this is very good. We read about that in Genesis 1 and we see that over and over again. In Genesis 2, we find that he comes and he says in verse 15, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but not this one. Don't eat of this tree. Because if you eat of this tree, this is the tree of the knowledge of what is good and what is not good. And if you eat from this tree, you will surely, you remember? You will surely die. So God says, I have created everything that is good. And you can live in my creation and you can experience all of this with me and we will rule the world together and we will take what is very good and we will make it even gooder. That's not what he said, but... That's essentially where he was going with that. But do not eat of this tree because of this tree you will no longer think about what is good in my terms. You will begin to define what is good in your terms. And that is the world that we live in today. So we find that in verse 18. After God has created Adam and He's tasked him he looks around, and this is the very first time that God not only has done something good, He now says something's not good. And do you remember what that was? He should not be alone. And so He goes to sleep, He takes His rib, and He creates two from one, and now we have man and we have woman. And He says, now this is good. He says we can live in His good world and be His good co-rulers to take what is good and make it better, or we can choose what is good and evil for ourselves and die. And that's the world that we find right up into this point. Now, I I lead you to this because what we're going to find is that this is a pattern that is repeated throughout the Old Testament. This is not just this story. You're going to find this story repeated over and over again. And if we're going to understand the Gospel, what is the good news, it's not just enough to read the words. We have to understand the pattern. Because they're commuting something, communicating something with the pattern. And for us, we may not write nor read that way, but they did. This was incredibly important for them. So this is what we have for the pattern so far. God gave us what was good. I think I've got a slide for that. Here we go. God gave us what was good. We were created in a world that was good. Then when something wasn't good, God worked to make it good. And then we can either choose to trust God's understanding of good, or I can trust my own understanding of what I think is good. And this is the struggle we'll have for the rest of our lives. And this is the struggle the world has. And this is the struggle that church has and that people outside the church have. And then we come to Genesis chapter 3 and the pattern changes. And then now the serpent 
was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No, he didn't say that. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the temptation right here in the garden is that you should know good and evil for yourself. You should pick for yourself. And that sounds very liberating, doesn't it? It sounds like that's ought to be just the way that life is. But what happens when we all choose what is good for ourselves? Eventually someone's going to get hurt, right? And usually it's going to be us. Interestingly, well, we'll come back to the serpent. Um, not today. We'll come back to the serpent another time, who the serpent was. Serpent was not Satan, by the way, and it was Satan at the same time. <laughs> there you go. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I'm not going to follow that. I don't have time for that rabbit trail. We'll come back to that. But if we do the Bible study, that's exactly the kind of stuff we're going to go through. Um, is What's the deal with the serpent? Um all right, I really want to go there, but I'm not going to. I don't have time. So then, then God walks through the garden after they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they run and they scatter and they hide and they're ashamed and they're afraid. And they're in this place, if you'll remember, where heaven and earth are, they are one place. They're all connected right now. You know, the multiverse is just the, the verse, right? And God comes walking up and he says, where are you? What did you do? As if he didn't already know, God knew, but as he approached him, he says, where are you? What did you do? And then what we find after that is that there are consequences for us to know what is good and evil because then we have to bear the consequences of our choices. There are natural consequences and we're not going to be able to rule with God or we're not going to be co-rulers and we're not going to be able to be in the Garden of Eden and we're not going to be able to live life the way we were and life's just going to be a whole lot harder for everybody. The very next chapter in chapter 4 is the chapter of Cain and Abel. And what we're going to find is we're going to find the same pattern in the story of Cain and Abel that we found in the creation account in the story of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, both bring uh, an offering to the Lord. And this is before the law, so this is not part of the Mosaic Covenant. They're just bringing their offering. And God says, Abel's is good. It's a good offering. He has brought me a good offering. But Cain has not. And here's the problem, is that they don't say why God says one is good and one is not. Um, if we go back and we kind of look at the rest of the Old Testament story, we can begin to gather why that was. But we actually don't have any of that information in chapter 4. So if you stop here and you just read word for word and you read this like it's a storybook, you go, but God, why, why? so that seems like you're very partial. But he's not. We'll come back to that another time, too. That's not our point for today. So Cain gets angry. And God speaks to him in verse 7. He says, if you do what is right or good, if you do what is right... Will you not be accepted, but if you do not do what is right, or you do what is not good, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it, which is the same picture of the serpent speaking to Eve. That this sin that is not named is crouching at the door of Cain, and it wants to control him, but what God is saying is you have the ability to control it, because you were created to rule over all of creation with God. You can rule over that, but you have to do what is good. If you do good, good things will happen. If you do not, you will be overcome by what is not good. So Cain gets angry and he kills Abel. 
And this is where violence enters into the biblical story. It's the first time we see it, and we see that God is not happy about it. In verse 8 it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Does that sound familiar? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Does that sound familiar? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And then he goes on and he says, no, they're not going to kill you. But Cain goes on and he continues to do what is not good. So in this story, God approaches him and he says, where are you? Or more specifically, where is your brother? And then he asks, what have you done? The exact same questions he asked Adam and Eve when he walks into the garden. Well, of course he knows this is a pattern. We're seeing this pattern where these first three chapters of Genesis help us to understand the rest of the Old Testament, and that's exactly what Genesis 1 through 3 is supposed to be, a way to understand the rest of the biblical story, which leads us to our understanding of, well, then what is this good news that we are pursuing? And Cain says, after this expression, my punishment is more than I can bear. More than I can bear. So we have Cain, who has sin, or a serpent, not a serpent, but like a serpent, whispering into his ear, telling him the problem is able, I should wipe him out. God's saying you need to control or rule over your urge to do what is not good, and does it anyways, and then God comes and finds him, and his punishment is that he's cast out of the land, which is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. We have a pattern here. Help us to understand where we're going. We go in next to the story of Noah, who is often put up in a place of being the next Adam because God is angry. And this is what God says in Genesis 6, verse 5, um, about the state of humanity at this point after the fall. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, or we could replace evil with what's not good. Every intention of the thoughts of the heart was on what wasn't good continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm just going to wipe everything out and start over. And I'm going to start over with one man. Well, and his family. And what we find is that they have rejected all that was good. And sometimes the things that we think are good end up not being good. Has anyone ever experienced that? You ever made a financial choice that you were super excited about and then you regretted? You ever broken a relationship because you were super upset and then regretted it? They needed to pay, but now I miss them. We do this all the time, these things that feel in the moment like it's good, and then down the road, either we didn't fully see the ramifications of our actions, or we just didn't understand the consequences that would come, and then all of a sudden we realize, Ish, that was a mistake. I think one of the ways that we mature is that we recognize our mistakes. When we're blind to our own poor choices and our own mistakes in our lives, that's when we lack the ability to see clearly. And after the flood, he comes and he plants a vineyard, which is the symbol of the new Adam in the new garden. We won't go into the rest of Noah's story. We've got some kids in here. But Noah's story doesn't end well. I mean, he gets to this point, and it's pretty good. And then 
He has a little too much to drink because he's really depressed. And this terrible thing happened. Sin was crouching at their door and they did what was not good. And there were consequences. And yet still what we see in God is that He is there. He kicked Adam and Eve out, but He was still with them. He Cain, Cain killed Abel and God didn't kill him. He said, I'm still here. Life's going to be harder for you. And now we have Noah who had his favor and he is the hope of mankind who was being destroyed in the flood. And now he falls and yet God is still choosing to care for him. Later we'll have Moses who will come in and then Moses will be the the next savior figure for all of humanity as he comes in to redeem the nation of Israel, to bring them out of Egypt under the control of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's gods. He was given the law to teach Israel what was good. Because they didn't know what was good. They didn't know how to act. They didn't know how to live. They didn't know what to do when they went to work. They didn't know how to own land. They didn't know how to go to, to handle relationships with each other. And they sure didn't know what to do when things went wrong. In fact, we'll read for Moses, he spent a good part of the time when they first went into the desert just arbitrating between people who were upset with each other. He got so overwhelmed, his father-in-law had to come in and say, Moses, you're killing yourself. You need some other people to help you kind of oversee all these this grumbling between people and decide what's right between them. And so, you know, then he goes and he, he goes up on Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments and he comes down to help them to know this is how you're going to live. This is how you know what is good. And as he went out to get those commandments, he came down the nation of Israel while they had just experienced God doing something good for them, bringing them out of Egypt. They began worshiping other gods, which is not good. Sin was crouching at their door. They were rejecting God, and what God was doing was good. And instead, they wanted to define that for themselves. God even said at that point, that's it, I'm done. Just like with Noah, I'm wiping them all out. I'm starting over. I'm done. Moses said, no, don't be done. Don't be done with them. And he says, okay, because you've entreated me on on their behalf, I won't be done with them. But these people, the adults in this group, will never see the promised land that I've promised them. Their children will see it, but they will not see it. Because they did not believe what I said was good was good. And he spends the next 40 years showing them and preparing them to go in. We go to King Saul, and Saul is God's chosen, and he's taller and more handsome than everyone around. And when he walked in, he was impressive, even though God had said, you don't need a king, you have me. What is good is to follow me. But they didn't want to follow God. Because everyone around them that was doing well, that they were afraid of, had a king. And so if we have a king, we'll be good and we'll be okay. And I know you say it's not a good thing for us to have, but we're pretty sure it will be a good thing. And he says, okay, fine, have a king. And they pick Saul and Saul follows God and they prosper and they do really well. And then Saul decides, I don't think I want to do what God thinks is good anymore. God says, okay, you're not going to be king anymore then. And we have the whole conversation between Saul and David and David is chosen not because not because anyone thinks he's the greatest anything simply because he had a heart to do what God said was good you see this pattern of good throughout the old testament but there's also this pattern of us choosing what's not good and God still being there and God still beckoning and calling and saying but I'm still going to work with you and I'm still going to help you and I still want to redeem you we come into finally Saul loses his kingship and David comes in and David is good and you know he's this handsome guy and he's a musician and he's a hunter and and he's able to do all these things and he does all these wonderful things and he to this day is still the most celebrated king in all of Israel to this day and yet then David chose what to do what was not good We see this pattern over and over again, and this is the pattern you and I live in. You and I have been living in this pattern our entire lives. And honestly, if we then go back and we look through the the whole rest of the Old Testament, the Old Testament, which is about Israel primarily, is full of stories of people that choose good as God defined it and those who didn't and how God was constantly trying to redeem them. This is the whole Old Testament. 
which I relate to because I constantly mess up and God's constantly still there. We see this in the New Testament too. In Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned or done what is not good and fall short of the glory of God. I was working on sermon this week. An ad came on. I was listening to a podcast and an ad came on for this new, uh, I'm not even sure how to say her last name, Mindy, Mindy Kaling. Is that right? Is that how you say her name? She's on The Office and I don't know what all she's done. The new show is on HBO. It's called The Sex Lives of College Girls. And it says, this, was, this is the um, her, what she tweeted, and then became the ad. A bundle of contradictions and hormones. Those sexually active college girls are equal parts lovable and infuriating. No rules, no regrets. In other words... We'll choose what we think is good. No one else will choose what is good in our eyes. And we don't care what the consequences will be. No matter what your opinion is of, of her or this show, the reality that this is the pattern of our lives today, thousands of years after Adam and Eve began this pattern, shows something significant to me and why I believe this is true and real. We're still struggling with the very same things that the very first people struggled with. We find this over and over and over again. This is the rallying cry of our culture. No rules. No regrets. And if we say, well, that's not good, well, you're oppressive. You're privileged. No one tells me what is good. And if we're all honest, there are times we look at God and we say to Him, you will not tell me this is not good because I want this. And we struggle and we go, oh, I realize why you didn't think that was good. It's interesting, and what I was going to spend some time talking about, but I'm going to do it really briefly here, is that we also have the ability to bring this kingdom of heaven we talked about the last couple of days or, or hell to earth. We actually have that ability. We spend so much time thinking about hell as, as, as a place. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the reality that, that hell is talked about in a very weird way in Scripture. And it's not part of the creation. God didn't create the heavens and the earth in hell. Hell came later. And hell was a place reserved for, the, for those who continually chose what was not Good And what's very uncertain is exactly where it is and what it is and what happens when you get there because our images of hell that we have in the Western Christian church are, are, are given to us by Dante They're not, and Milton. They're not given to us by the Bible. We don't read about this eternal suffering and torment and burning in these pits of sulfur and this devil with a tail, with a pitchfork and this tail. That's all, that's all fairly modern literature that has given this picture of hell, that's not exactly the way the Bible talks about it. In fact, the Bible even says we can bring heaven and we can bring hell to earth by our own choices, by our choice of what is good or what is not good. For example, James 3 verse 6 says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. If you've ever been dressed down by someone or someone's talked about you behind your back or they've just said really hurtful things to you, you know exactly what James is talking about. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. <laughs> For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, no, it's not. My tongue doesn't have poison in it. You know, I might have bad breath, and you may think that's poisonous. But that's not what the writers are talking about, right? We're not talking about this literature, liter, uh, literal tongue of, of fire, like my mouth is really on fire. My tongue's really on fire. But he's saying, your tongue brings hell to the earth, and you put hell on others with your tongue. We have the ability to do that. Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, he was really ticked off with the religious people who like to tell people all the ways they, you're not doing good. I mean, we're doing good. And next week we're going to look at a parable where Jesus, it is 
so much fun. The parable of the great banquet is so much fun because the Pharisees are going on about how great they are. And Jesus is like, uh, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I'm going to tell a parable right here about a dinner because I'm sitting at a dinner with you. And guess who the bad guy in the parable is? It's you. It's really a fun parable. We'll talk about that next week. That's right. There, most of his parables aren't like, this is pretty on the nose. Like, you don't walk out of that dinner and go, I wonder what Jesus was talking about. I mean, you know, it's like, he, he, anyways, we'll, we'll do that next week. Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites! For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Which is, I don't, if you haven't studied Hebrew, you may not realize that's not a very flattering comment. Like you're a child of hell and that all your converts are twice as bad as you. There's this idea that hell is something that can be brought here. And generally it's when we ourselves are choosing what is not good. Kind of a parenting. Tell your child they're a child of hell. She's shaking her head. Yeah, so that is generational sin. In my mind, generational sin is, is when we, we, we repetitively choose unhealthy behaviors and we place them on our kids, and when they grow up in them, they know no other way than to continue the behaviors they've watched their entire life. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that can be hell. Yeah, yeah, which is why the old, the old joke of every time you go to a counselor, they want to ask you, how's your relationship with your mom? You know, it's like, how, what have you learned? No, I mean, not... You're a mom, but you know, but it, the, the, we are influenced by our parents and our parents' behavior. I mean, we joke, Deidre and I joke, like you know, we set aside a little bit of money each month for our kids' counseling fund, so that they can, when they're ready, they can go and see somebody and undo all the bad things we did to them. And uh, but there, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that. Like we're all on this struggle to figure out how do we do what's good. All right. Lord's Prayer is another one. Or the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying literally pray, and then when he goes on to say, and give us our daily bread, if you remember when we talked about the Lord's Prayer, that was, he said, not give me my daily bread, but ours was supposed to prompt the prayer to say, well, what are the needs of others around me that I can meet their needs too? And in that way, we bring the kingdom of heaven at times to earth and in other ways too. There is this kingdom language that says this is not just about when you die, this is about right now. And when we begin to un- unravel a lot of Scripture, we begin to see that in new and different ways. So that leads us to then, well, what is good? Or the way we sometimes say it today, well, what is His will if His will is for us to do what is good, and, and what I've been trying to say these last few weeks is that perhaps what God wants is that it's for us to return to the good that God first intended for us. What if that is the whole point? Jesus died on the cross, so we will return to the good that God intended. Well, how do we find out what the good that God intended was? Well, we go back and we look at what God has said about it throughout the Old Testament, and we, we see this pattern over and over and over again, in which God says, I am a God who brings good, who creates good, who provides good for you. And you have the choice to rule with me this earth and to take this kingdom of heaven and spread it throughout the entire earth because that's what He told them to do. He told them, He's, listen, you need to get married and you need to have kids and you need to fill the earth. And we are going to take this kingdom of heaven throughout the whole, we're going to fill the whole earth. The reason I say Cain went on to continue in perpetually doing what is not good is because he said, no, we're not going to scatter. And he built what we read in the Old Testament is the very first city, which is a place to gather, not scatter. So in that way, he did the exact opposite of what God said was good is interesting that we are in another period of this 
gathering in large cities. Our rural areas are shrinking. People want to be in the big metropolitan areas. We're still in that same issue. The Tower of Babel comes in with the same idea, by the way, where all of humanity at the time was like, hey, we're none of us are doing what you've told us to do. None of us are going to do what is good. We're going to do what's good in our eyes, or we're going to build a tower, and and we're going to approach the gods are going to have to come to us. Like, we're going to, you're going to have to come to us. And God said, <laughs> no, not what's going to happen. And then we see the, the dispersion of the nations and the dispersion of languages based around this, what God intended. So perhaps it's to return to the good that God first intended to us, intended for us. And as we read back through the Scripture, maybe that means loving our neighbor. This is the good God wants for us. That's loving our neighbor. As simple as that. Maybe it's things like don't ever harm a child. because That's what Scripture teaches us. Don't harm children. If you see someone else who's harming a child, you should step up, even if it's going to bring harm to you, to make sure that child's not harmed. Right? Maybe that's what it means to return to the good in a broken world, because that's where we are now. We are in a broken world. If you accidentally hurt someone, make restitution to them. And we read that in the law. If you have a hole in your yard and there's somebody's ox falls in it, Reimburse them for their ox because you shouldn't have had that hole in the yard where their ox would have fallen in. If you hurt somebody, make restitution. Maybe that's the good that we return to. There's other things that the Scripture says. It says, you know, go to work. Provide for your family. Don't sit around and, and, and just play all the time. Like, go to work. Make sure your family's taken care of. If you see someone who's being oppressed, help them. Because that's what Jesus, what Jesus said. And Jesus, they didn't just do that or say that. He said, listen, I am here for the oppressed. And let's be honest, sometimes the church, sometimes, we're, sometimes we oppress. We've got to deal with that. I know I, we, we spent several weeks talking about just race and all the things happening you know, last year around... Maude Arbery and George Floyd. A lot of people got really mad at me. <laughs> they got really mad at me that we were talking about that. We weren't slave owners. And some people left our church over it, to be honest. I mean, you, don't, you may not know that, but some people left our church over it. But, but like, if we're going to return to the good of what God does, if someone is in any way being oppressed, like, we should be there, even if it hurts us. Jesus said, listen, you should help somebody even to the degree that if you have to give your life for them, like that's that's real love. And and most of us, if any of us, will ever have to actually give up a beating heart for somebody else, but we may have to give up friends, and jobs, and reputations. And we may have other people that just absolutely hate us because we choose to follow in the ways of Jesus. And guess what? If you do that, Jesus says, well, you should be happy because that's what they did to me, and that means you're following me. Maybe if we're returning to the good that he says, if you see someone committing a sin, maybe take care of your own sin first <laughs> before you worry about all theirs. Maybe that's the good we need to return to. He says other things, like if, if someone's life is so broken that they want to steal your coat, give them your shirt too. Give them the whole set of clothes. I mean, if they're that bad of shape this, and they're needing it, you know, don't fight them. Just give it to them, because clearly this is another fellow person built, made in the image of God that that needs something, and they're completely broken inside. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this because they're choosing a way that is not good. So you don't match their not good; you do good instead. That's why Paul says we don't fight against people; we fight against spiritual powers. We really need to explore the difference between people and spiritual powers. Because the Bible always says the battle is with spiritual powers, not with people. But we battle with people every single day. That's right. That's right. Interesting, Leviticus says, Leviticus 13.45 says, if you have a disease that could be spread, you should wear a mask to keep people from getting it. Did you know that? We have people leave because we require masks. We have people leave the church because we require masks. I still, it boggles my mind. Like, I hate masks, but 
Leviticus 30, this is what it says, literally. This is what it says. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease, and you can take serious skin disease out in any kind of you know, super um, contagious disease, all right? Um, for that, for that, their day, it was leprosy. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing, leave their hair uncombed, and they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean, or social distance, is how they would use our vernacular today, right? And that's what God would say is good. Like, that's a law. That's a law in Leviticus, which is the book of laws. All right. I just got to say one more thing about that. Oh, it makes me so... Two things have made me super upset over this pandemic. I mean, there have been more than one, but two, two primary things that affect us. One is our leaders, how they've handled it. They, we have had some of the worst leaders to handle this, which is why there's so much doubt. And yet, we turn that on each other, and we become enemies of each other. And the second is, is that we've made people's health political. <laughs> Because God never made it political. He's like, listen, if you got something and it's really bad, and you could give it to somebody else, just take some precautions so you don't give it to them. The, the idea of, well, I'm just trusting God. God, the, okay, trust God. He said, wear a mask, right? I mean, that's what he said in Leviticus, right? So trust me, wear a mask, everybody will be all right. All right. You didn't come here to hear about that. You're welcome. Yes, yes, go back. Everybody's look. Yeah, some people are like, I'm gonna, I don't believe that's what it says. I'm going to go back and look. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. What does it mean? What does it mean to do good? Point broken people to God. So if we return to then, well, what did he mean from the in, in, the, in the beginning? Well, maybe it is to walk with him. Just like they did. Maybe it's to rule with him, just like he created us to do. How do we do that today? Maybe it's to make the creation better than it already was. Which also boggles my mind that we make this a political issue that taking care of the world. Like, you know, we've got some terrible leaders. And we let them throw us around. Like, I don't know why we let them do this to us. And they make these big, bold promises and predictions. They don't know what they're talking about. But Scripture literally says, I want you to manage this earth. I want you to take care of this earth. So like, I can be completely against um, a, a political agenda and yet say, my job is to take care of this earth. How can I do that? All right. I'm, I'm meddling now. I'm fully meddling. That's not what I intended to do today. I've intended to do it a little bit, but not this much. So I'm going to stop. Um, well, maybe those are some things we can do. And this is what the good news is. And maybe if you're sitting there thinking, what do I do? How do I do this in my life? How can you bring the kingdom of God to other people rather than hell? <laughs> How can you bring the kingdom of heaven to your family? To, to the people you work with? What does it look like for you to go into work tomorrow morning? And, I mean, we all hate Monday mornings, right? Um, you go in Monday morning and go, how do we go in and go, now don't go in and go, the kingdom of heaven is here. You know, don't do that, because that's not what he's talking about. But what does it look like to bring the kingdom of heaven to work with you? Right? Donuts. <laughs> Ashley says donuts. All right. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. What does it look like when you're at a restaurant, you don't have enough servers, and like it's taking forever? Do you bring into that moment the kingdom of heaven or hell? We do. See, in the Old Testament thought, there wasn't this mindset of, I do church, and then I do life. Like every moment, whether you're at work or at home or at play, was about this. This is what it was about. So how do you go in the places, and I'm going to be straight up honest with you, I would love to say I'm never a jerk. 
Some of you who know me know that's not true. Sometimes I am a jerk. This is part of the struggle of following Jesus and that until He returns, we're going to struggle. Like sometimes I, I don't do it well and sometimes I do it really well. Sometimes I'm not really well at all. What does it look like to bring the kingdom of heaven to all the places that you go? I don't think it means telling people, you know what, do whatever feels right for you. Even though there are times that that's the exact position we need to take so, because they have to make the decision. Like they can't make, we can't make the decision for them. But at the end of the day, the, the answer of pointing people to the ultimate good is not to say, you know what, Choose what's good to you because that's been the whole problem from the very beginning. We've got to have some sense of well, what is good. All right, I'm going to quit. And we're not done. We're going to take communion. So I was only halfway joking to see if you had something else to do today. And this kind of, you know, I'm super excited about us digging into some of this other stuff later. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. That is what hell is. I mean, that is what hell is. The the fire and brimstone hell, you didn't do enough good. So now you're going to burn forever. That's of our making. That's our story that we made up. That is not a story God's been telling. That's right. That's right. That's right. Hell, hell if, we, if we really dig into the teaching of Scripture, hell is a place of our own making. We made hell. God did not. We made hell. And that's part of what, when we read through and we talk about bringing hell on earth, that's part of what, what the Scriptures are saying, is you made it. <laughs> like All the bad stuff, you brought it but I'm here to redeem you from it. And, and, and not, I'm not going to redeem you from it if you stop doing all that stuff because he said ultimately, like you're, let's be honest, you're never going to stop doing this. You're, it's hardwired in your DNA to choose good for yourself. So the fact that you're never going to be able to do that, like I'm going to do it for you. And then we have a choice to accept that. We can accept that from Jesus, and that's exactly what he did on the cross. Or we can reject it and we can go do we can go do what we want. And and so hell then is chosen. It's not uh, it's not something that you're condemned to, it's something that you choose for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so we gotta that's another conversation. So there's a whole all right. We get we gotta stop. I will stay here all day, and so if you want to come talk to me after, I'll talk to you. But there's a whole supernatural part of scripture that we in 21st century world choose to ignore because we like what we can see. But literally, the battle in the Bible is between all of the heavenly forces. Always between the heavenly forces. And 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 I it's not that we are the pawns of the heavenly forces, like we have no responsibility, but we are often influenced by these heavenly forces. And so when we read, even when we read, we get to um, Revelation, the battle is, he's talking about heavenly forces. He's not talking about Jesus swooping in, you know, with a, a stealth fighter and a AK-47, and he's going to lay waste to all the unbelievers, because that's how some people read Revelation. That's not it at all. He's talking about a, the battle in heaven that will finally be over and when it's over, he's bringing a new heaven. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're not even going to heaven. Like, 
<laughs> Heaven's coming here. Like there's going to be a new earth for us. Anyways, all right, some of you will never come back again. You're like, Mark has lost it. I'm telling you, you'll go in and read your Bible. This is what you'll find. This is what it plainly says. We've got to do more than read the verses that are, you know, John 3.16 and Jesus wept. And, 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 and I, I, had a, I had a significant experience with Jesus, which is he has been gracious to me to bring me along in my misunderstandings out of a system that was very literal to understand God is so much more nuanced and there's so much more story in the nuance. Uh, and, and so he does that for us and he brings us along. So I don't say that in a shaming way, but Scripture, if you, if you love God, you will begin to love his word. And if you love his word, oh my gosh, it's just like it just reels you in. You're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, it really is such a brilliant work where some people like to say the Bible is just, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of bunch of old rednecks, and they needed somebody to believe in, and so they wrote this thing. But it's a big fairy tale like that. It, they don't, they've never read it because it is, is amazing what's in here. By the way, I, I just gotta say this. I'm so bad today. I'm sorry. I Deidre's not here. She's in Houston. I have no control. Because normally she would be here telling me, Mark, you've got to shut up. And I'm not, she's not here to do that. So thank you, Aaron. Aaron says, I'll do it. I'll tell you to shut up. I'm ready to go. Um, listen, you all are such a loving community. Uh, it's just wonderful. It's just, um, it's just wonderful. I forgot what I was going to say now. All right. So it worked. That worked. I forgot what I was going to say. Um, but it, it, oh, oh, this is what I was going to say. The the uh, I hear it so consistently um, that we just believe in fairy tales, <laughs> and yet the biggest news right now is the metaverse, where we are going to live full time in a fairy tale <laughs> of our own making. We can be whoever we want, and we can we can pretend to be like I can pretend to be a child or an adult, or I can pretend to be a celebrity or someone who's not. I'm just going to pretend. And the idea that it's just easier to live in a pretend world than a real world. But I, listen, when you read through this, like the like the the Mindy, you know, Kaling quote, no no rules, no regrets. Like that's reality. That's been the story from day one. And the story is still alive and it's still real and it draws you in. And the writers of the of scriptures, I mean, they just like they were overtaken by this spiritual reality that intersects our physical world, whereas we have so separated them. Anyway, all right, I gotta stop. Um, here's what I want to do. We're still gonna finish, and I'll just be in trouble. Um, we're still gonna do communion, and we've got one more song to do. Jesus paid it all. We're still gonna do that. I really didn't mean to end on a comical note, but I guess we are today. But um, I do want you to come up and take these, and and here's. Here's what I would encourage you how to end our day today together. I would encourage you to end our day together by um, communion was never meant to be about the, 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 the bread and the juice. It was never about that. The, the communion was always about what God has done for us. And so I don't know where you are. I, I have to regularly repent from my focus on the kingdom of earth. I have to regularly repent from that. And and on the days that I am so highly focused on the kingdom of heaven, those are so good, so many, so many good days. There are times when we come in communion to God, and I'm not going to prompt you. You come and get it, and during this song, you take it whenever you want. We've got a couple of types. Interestingly, supply issues. I couldn't get our, our nicer <laughs> communion supplies, so we're using some of the stuff we had before. Um, if you get the white top ones in the trays or the gluten-free on the white top ones, juice is on the top, bread is on the bottom. On the red top ones, the, the bread's on the top and the juice is under that. And so there's actually two little things to peel off there. Come and take it. And throughout this song, anytime you want to take it, Jesus said, this is my body that's broken for you. What does it look like for you to not only experience the kingdom of God, but to bring it wherever you are? What does it look like to do that at work with your friends, with your family? What does it look like for those that are alone and no one sits with them at lunch? 
No one, they have no friends that you know of. How does it look like to bring the kingdom of heaven to them? What does it look like for those that are oppressed to say, I'm going to stand between you and your oppressor? What does that look like? Perhaps you need to just take some time to consider, to confess and to repent, or to just say, God, show me where that next step is. Whatever that is, let's take communion in that way um, this morning as we sing Jesus paid it all, because in the gospel he did pay it all, because we weren't able to do this on our own. And so I never want to diminish the power of the cross. I just don't want to make the story all about that, because that happened, and it was beautiful, and it was horrendous too. But what it brought us, that is what we are focused on for the good news, not just what it took to get us there. So take this moment, and then we will be done for this week, and next week I'll try to be a little more controlled. Deidre will be here, so it will probably be better for everyone else. So, um, All right, let me pray with you. We'll, we'll sing and take communion. Father, God, I am thankful that my story, I am no different than Cain. I am no different than Adam. Eve, I am no different than Saul or David. I am no different from any of the stories that we read about those who did good and those who did not. And Father, I pray that you would continue to forgive us when we choose our own way, our own definition of good over yours. And more than that, I pray that you would make it clear to us what you believe is good so that there doesn't have to be the struggle within us. I thank you that even when we fail, you're still there calling us, redeeming us, drawing us, and saying, my blood is sufficient for you. So as we take this cup and we eat this bread, Father, we admit that we are unable without you. We are unable without what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I pray that we would, we would take steps today to right some of the wrongs in our lives. And that we would be on an eternal pursuit to know what you say is good. Speak to us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.